Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadsstjames.life. Today we're we're gonna we're gonna finish up Daniel. Uh, we stated last week that technically the last three chapters of Daniel are actually one great big chapter, and then. It, they, they broke it up into three. Uh, to summarize where we are at, Daniel is staying in the Babylon area. Uh, though King Cyrus of Persia has allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to start rebuilding their temple. And then during a time of fasting and mourning, possibly because the plans to rebuild uh, the temple had come to a halt due to uh, persecution and ridicule, uh, Daniel is visited by an angelic being and receives a powerful vision concerning what the angel says is the latter days. Uh, We saw a peek behind the spiritual curtain uh, that God places angels over nations, and Israel's angel is Michael, who is the chief of them all. He's the the chief prince, is what what it says. Um, From there, we looked at the first part of this vision in Daniel 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 2 through 39. Had a little video montage for you to kind of show the fulfillment through history from the time of Cyrus the Great, king of Persia, through a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, who was in charge of the northern kingdom of Greece. So Persia and you know, the Medo-Persian Empire drops after Alexander the Great comes to power in uh, Greece, uh, but then he dies young, 32 years old, and his kingdom, uh, the, the Greek Empire, is broken up into four based on the generals that he had, and then it went into, into directions, north, south, east, and west. North is the main, you know, you know, you're looking at Greece and the northern, you know, up by modern-day Turkey and those areas. South mainly consisted of of Egypt and uh, parts of, of what we know as the Middle East today. Now, towards the end of that chunk of Scripture, uh, the prophecy begins to blur a little bit between Antiochus Epiphanes and the Antichrist, at, at least for us. Uh, Daniel and those who would read this prophecy while living through the end of the time of Epiphanies uh, probably thought all of this would happen over a long period of time, but all at once, and the Messiah would come to rescue them. So they read this, they they get it, they're like, okay, this is powerful, okay, we're going to follow this, and we're going to see what happens. But it's it's probably all going to happen at once, and we're waiting for this Messiah, the uh, this the Son of Man that that Daniel has prophesied about earlier. Uh, We're waiting for him. We can't wait to see him. They didn't see the massive gap in time, though, between epiphanies and technically today. (laughs) I mean, there was a massive gap of time. The idea that the Messiah would have two comings was not a thought that entered anyone's mind, and it showed during the time of Jesus. Right before he ascended into heaven, the disciples, if you guys can remember, thought it would be, you know, that would be the time that his kingdom was going to, to come into the world, and, and out goes the Roman Empire, and we're all free and awesome. But, but that's not what happened, of course. And so they don't see this. It's, it's not there. I think it's uh, uh, Tim LaHaye, the writer of... Um, one of those left behind books. He's got a book and he talks about how a lot of time when you look at prophecy, and we've discussed this before, when the prophets would get their prophecies, they'd say it and they'd see things. But what they were seeing were the mountaintops. 
What they didn't see were the valleys in between some of those mountains. And so it'd be like, oh my goodness, that is, I, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting this to happen. And then floom, there's, you know, another 200 years before the Messiah would show up. And then floom, there'd be another time that the Messiah is going to return again. And that's going to be, well, now 2,000 years plus since all those things. So all that stuff... Uh, was not there. But with the history behind us, we can see that Daniel, uh, the last part of Daniel here, chapter 11, verse 40 through 12, 13, is dealing with the end days and is the future even for us. Not only was that future for Daniel, but it is still future for us. And then there's a bit of a blur between chapter 11, verse 29 and verse 39, uh, where Antiochus, uh, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes did some of the things and, and had some of those I am God personality traits, um, but other things he didn't do, and they are being reserved solely for the Antichrist of everyone's future, including our own. Um, so one of the biggest shared actions between Epiphanes and the Antichrist is that, that phrase, the abomination that causes desolate, or the abomination that brings desolation, uh, depending on your, your, your translation of the Bible. Epiphanes kind of did this. Epiphanes took a statue of Zeus, stuck it in the middle of the, of the second temple that was built, you know, the temple that we saw in Ezra that's starting to be built. That temple, he takes Zeus, sticks him right in the middle of it, and then slaughters a bunch of pigs as an offering to Zeus. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, absolutely destroying Judaism and, and what they thought and, and, and how they, you know, lived was, you know, let's, let's put this statue up of, of, an, uh, you know, of a God that doesn't exist and then offer sacrifices to him, not even of animals that, that the Jews would have sacrificed to any god. So, so he comes up and he does that. And so to an extent, the abomination that makes desolate kind of happens um, probably sometime around 155 B.C. And so those things happen and all that stuff happens. However, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 verse 15 says this, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, means that it's still going to happen. So the Lord kind of gave us a picture and a, and a vision of this possibly happening with Antiochus Epiphanes, but this is, this is going to happen again. Something's going to happen where the Antichrist is going to do something, an abomination that caused desolation, and stick it right in the middle of the holy place. Now, we can go into a, 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 a bunch of little avenues about what the holy place is. Is it a third temple? Because the second temple that Ezra and those folks built is destroyed in 70 AD. Do they need a third temple and all that kind of stuff? There's so much speculation on how that works and, and what you can read in Scripture and what it says. Uh, but but we're not going to go that deep into this. We're going to just kind of still focus on what Daniel sees and, and what is said here, especially a lot about uh, the, the, the future Antichrist and what's going on. So with all that being said and all of that being summarized, let's take a peek into the future. We're going to backtrack a little bit. We read these verses in that little video montage, but we need to see them again. Daniel chapter 11, starting at verse 36 through 39, says this, 
And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other God, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these. A God whom his father did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price." Uh, real quick here, as we heard last week, as as those scriptures were being read uh, between verses 2 and 39, the angel, as he's talking to Daniel, is actually very specific when mentioning whether it was the king from the north or the king of the south. So the king of the north would come in and invade the south, or the king of the south would come in and invade the north, or the king of the north would do this, the king of the south would do this. He was very specific. Then all of a sudden, in verse 36 here, there's this ambiguity with the king. Then this king shows up, and the king shall do as he wills. Now, as you're reading it, you might just automatically think, okay, it's the king of the north, because he's still kind of talking about that. But it's it's intriguing that all of a sudden, the, the, the specific label is dropped. So who would this guy be? Now, though Epiphany shared some of these traits, most scholars are in agreement that this is the Antichrist. However, 1 John chapter 4, 3, which Daniel wouldn't have known at the time, but now we do because we've got the benefit of all the scriptures in front of us. 1 John 4, 3 tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world. And though John doesn't say this exact, exactly, it's probably been in the world for a long, long, long time. The spirit of the Antichrist has been in the world for a long time. Remember, though, how terrifying, or I'm sorry, uh, it was probably inhabited every notorious world leader in existence that we've known. You know, think of guys like Genghis Khan and uh, uh, Adolf Hitler and and all these other terrible, horrible people, whether it's, you know, a, a Chinese emperor, a Japanese emperor, a Russian czar, or whatever there are in Russia, I have no idea. Maybe Putin is, has as the spirit of the Antichrist. I have no idea. But, but the truth is, is that that spirit has inhabited some of our, our worst leaders that we know of because, well, Satan doesn't know exactly when the end is going to be because only God does. So there's always this preparation and there's always this, this act of, we're going to bring this guy up and we're going to make this happen. So, um, it was, it, it was probably inhabited within Epiphanies at the time of his reign. And then, like I said, it's, it's always inhabited uh, some of the most notorious leaders we've, we've ever seen in the world. Remember, though, how terrifying this person will be. Revelation 13 speaks of him as a beast, and he has all the personifications of the animals of Daniel's vision of the various empires in Daniel chapter 7. The leopard, the bear, the all those different animals that he had, the goat and all that stuff, all those things are in this guy. So all the, the worst things that you could think of and all the terrible stuff that you saw, that we saw within Daniel's vision is, is going to be within the Antichrist. So it's going to be terrifying. It's going to be horrible. Uh, it's, it's, 
it's it's very it's it's very kind of shocking. So when you read this and you see this, you know he he doesn't care about gods. Uh, a god will help him from you know another god will help him gain power and those kinds of things. Probably talking about if you look forward to the book of Revelation and the dragon that comes out of the sea, uh, and he's this beast that dragon you know is is Satan and those kinds of things. So Satan is is empowering him and those kinds of things. So all of these things do kind of line up and it all goes. But but what you really want to see here is the fact that this Antichrist is going to be a very, very evil person, um, completely against God and his kingdom. Um, so he comes to power, this God do, or this, uh, this king does this, and then quite a few nations enter into the picture in verse 40. Look at 40 with me. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, this, this mystery king, I guess you could say. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships, and he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver, and all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train." But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the seas or the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. So, where and what is all of this stuff? To be brutally honest with you folks, we really don't know. So we'll just chat about this real quick. In verse 40, it's anyone's guess as to who the kings of the north and the kings of the south are. The north could be Russia. It could be the south-central part of Europe, as most scholars believe. We have yet to reach the empire of the feet of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which were iron and clay mixed. Um, the south could be Egypt, could be anywhere in the Middle East, uh, technically based on their lines and, and how that worked. So all of this stuff is kind of ambiguous. We're not really sure what's going to happen, but, but you just kind of got to wait there and, and see what's going on. Uh, then in verse 1, for some unknown reason, um, it wasn't 1, it's 41. Because we, we're past one. Sorry. For 41, in verse 41, he shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. That is, right now, that's, that's modern-day Jordan. We have no clue why, why, why the Antichrist isn't going to come against these. Maybe he comes from that area. We don't really know. But, but for some reason, these folks are going to be delivered. They're going to be protected by, by this guy for, for whatever reason it may be. This area, like I said, is modern-day Jordan, but, but who knows what's going to happen. Uh, we continue to see his authority and his wealth increase. And then news from the north and east puts him in a rage. Okay, And he goes out and he goes to fight and battle people. Now, it, 
I'm not completely sure. Again, I'm not a scholar on end time prophecies and stuff. But you know, in Revelation, you got uh, you got seals, you got bowls, you got all these different things that come out. And in the seven bowls of God's wrath, the sixth bowl that's poured out in Revelation chapter 16 dries up the Euphrates River so that the kings of the east can come in and rage war and. And, and the Bible says in what the Hebrew calls Armageddon. So are these two tied together? Possibly. You know, he gets ticked off about something going on in the east. They're going to come. And so he goes in a rage and heads out to a, a spot uh, in Israel in which it's going to be the bloodiest battle anybody has ever known. I mean, it's the, the Bible says the blood will come up to the horse's bridle. So, I mean, it's like... Yeesh. So it's it. All these different things are are going on, and um, it's 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 huge. But again, this is some of this is just kind of guesstimates, and let's see if we can tie these together somewhat. Verse forty five tells us that he will pitch his palatial tents between the sea, and actually, in that version there, my version says only one sea. It's actually a plural word in the in the Hebrew there. It sees and the glorious holy mountain. Where would that be? Where would he be saying, you know what, this is where I want to live. This is where I'm going to be centered. This is how this is going to work. It, there's a couple of places it could be. It could be the area of Jerusalem. You've got the Dead Sea to the east, and you've got the Mediterranean Sea to the west, and a few mountains to choose from, that glorious hill that it talks about. You've got the Mount of Olives. You've got Mount Zion. You've got Mor- Mount Moriah. But listen, just to throw a monkey wrench in all of this, Maybe it could be near Rome. <laughs> it could be in Italy. You know, Italy is surrounded by two seas, the Adriatic and the Tyrrhenian Seas, and St. Peter's Basilica. Anybody ever heard of that place? Anybody? I, I don't know what it is either. I think it's where the Pope lives. I, I'm not sure. You've got Vatican City, and then you've got St. Peter's Basilica that sits on what is called Vatican Hill. That seems like it might be a pretty holy mountain, so who knows? Maybe he sets up shop in Italy near Rome, because once again, we still haven't come to the, the empire of clay and iron feet. So, so maybe he ends up there. Who knows? All of that is, is really neither here or there. The important thing to see is that after all is said and done, there is no hope for the Antichrist and his followers, because God is going to be victorious. Now, Daniel doesn't get to go into as much detail as John does in the book of Revelation, but this is all this is all going to end and, and just kind of break it up and just be like, oh my goodness, this is this is crazy. Makes your head spin and and makes it go kind of goofy there. So that's that's a good chunk of it. We then have a weird chapter break that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and we see Michael again in Daniel chapter twelve. Look at verse one with me. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at the time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Verse 4, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. We'll stop there for a second. 
So there's a great tribulation period with trouble that has never been seen before, and that's quite a statement, as this world has seen some pretty grotesque situations. Amen? Um, and we found about the, out about them way later. I mean, it's, it's horrible. So to think that God, who knows the future and all of this, comes out and says, listen, there's going to be a time with tribulation that, that has never been seen since the nations have been you know, established. That's, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty powerful statement. And we, we got to understand it's going to get really, really bad before it gets really, really good. Now, like I said, Daniel doesn't get the, the benefit of, but listen, the horse, the, you know, the, the rider's going to come down on his horse. He's going to whoop everybody up. Everybody's going to get slaughtered. It's all going to end. And then there's going to be a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth. Daniel doesn't get that. <laughs> Daniel just gets, it's going to be really crummy. It's going to be terrible. So, so that's, that's, that's how this will work. Um, But he does talk about people that will be delivered and who's going to be delivered. Anyone and everyone who is written in the book. Now, Daniel is probably wondering, what book? (laughs) And is my name in that book? Because I'm pretty sure I want to be in that book (laughs) when it happens. He probably doesn't know much about it. And the people, I mean, rabbis and stuff probably were coming up with ideas. But since we have more writings to go on, this has to be referencing the book of life that's talked about in Revelation 20, where the books are open and, and you've got the book of life. And the only way, at least for us now, the only way to get your name in that book is to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. However, it would also include the faithful and the righteous people of the Old Testament, because Jesus hadn't come yet. And then in Philippians, you have uh, uh, like a vision of, of Jesus going to what was known as Abraham's bosom, the, the paradise area where Old Testament people were faithful, coming down and saying, listen, this is this is the Messiah you all were waiting for. So why don't you come with me and robe of my glory and you guys can head up to heaven uh, while, while all this stuff works out. So, so there, there's this book that's mentioned uh, with that. Then there's talk of the resurrection of the dead. We won't dig into that too much today, though we see much of this mentioned in Revelation chapter 20. Some will be resurrected, some to, uh, you know, uh, what does it say there in uh, verse 3? And those are uh, in verse 2. Uh, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Again, Revelation 20 in the great white throne judgment talks about that. It talks about the dead giving everybody up. The sea gave up all of its dead. The earth gave up all of its dead, and all these people are resurrected, and and there's some form of resurrection in how this works. Um, uh, We'll come back to verse 3 in a minute here, but verse 4 says that the angel tells Daniel to shut up the words and to seal the book. Now, this is not a command for Daniel to make this a secret. Some people think that. They're like, oh, he told him to be quiet about it. That's not really what it is. Uh, This is is more uh, for a command to Daniel to make, again, not to make this a secret, but, but, um, uh, but nothing should be added to the book. You know, seal the book, and nothing should be altered. Shut up the words. So this is what's been said. This is what's been done. 
uh, leave it. Don't try to change it. Don't try to do those kinds of things. Um, it then talks about people going to and fro and knowledge increasing. In short, what it's saying is many people will try to decipher the words through human means but they won't seek wisdom. And so they're going to be going back and forth and, well, this is what this means and this is what that means and this is everything that's, that Daniel had written. But that's not the case. It's, it, it's just going based on human knowledge instead of seeking after the wisdom of God, which we'll get back to in a moment here. So let's finish up what Daniel is seeing, starting at verse 5 and ending at verse 13. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood on this bank of the stream, and one, of, uh, and one on that bank of the stream. I'm sorry. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times and a half time and that when the shuddering and, and the, that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end all these things would be finished i heard but i did not understand then i said o oh my lord what shall be the outcome of these things he said go your way daniel for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. So, real quick here, two new beings appear, and one of them asks, how long until the end of all these wonders? Now, when he says wonders, he's not like, oh, all these cool things are happening. You know, it's like, when does all this garbage end? How does this work? And the main angel swears to God that it will be a time, times, and a half time. Uh, this was a measure of time that was also used in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, most have come to believe that this is three and a half years, give or take a day or two. Um, we say that because we got very specific number of days at the bottom of this, but this is like, it's probably around that because a time, times and a half a time, that's not a measurement for us. I mean, it tells us that it's time, but, but what exactly is that? So they've, we've just kind of come to believe that this is probably three and a half years-ish. Um, then we get uh, what might be a very relieving statement made by Daniel in verse 8. I heard, but I did not understand. I heard, but I did not understand. Friends, you know, you see this stuff, and, and if you're worried about, man, I don't get it. I, I can't figure this out. I can't line all of this up. That's fine. Guess what? Neither could Daniel. 
And this was in his language. And this was in his metaphors. And this was in everything that he would have understood. We've got a couple of language barriers that are here, and we're trying to figure out exactly what they were writing when they wrote these things. So if Daniel couldn't get it and Daniel couldn't have it all done, it's okay for us. Friends, when it comes to end times prophecy, sometimes the best we can do is just wait and see. And we can sit here and we can guess about a lot of this stuff and we can look at it and we can say, well, this is probably how it's going to happen. I wouldn't recommend that you don't do that because you're probably going to be shocked out of your socks that God doesn't do it that way. Completely changes it. I was just reading a a book this last week um, and a pastor in Colorado had uh, some folks from Africa come and help in his ministry. And they get... They get to Colorado, and it snows, and one of the people from Africa says, oh, I've seen snow before, but I didn't know snow fell from the sky. And he was like, what do you mean you didn't know it fell from the sky? Where do you think snow came from? And she said, I thought it just came up out of the ground. (laughs) It just floomp, and it was there. She's like, I've seen pictures of snow, but it's only like this. I've only seen it. I've never seen it falling. I've never seen snowflakes. I mean, she didn't see a lot. I mean, she's from Africa. So, I mean, that's not how it was. So when she saw the snow falling from the sky, she was like, that's how that works. Oh, okay. Always thought it just came up out of the ground. Everybody had a good chuckle. A little bit to her, at her expense, but they were like, no, this is, this is how it works. And, and so you look at that, and we see the end times, and sometimes it's like, I thought this is how it was going to happen. Nope, that's not how it's going to happen. We give you some, some details, and we kind of help you understand what's, what's going to happen, but it's, it's not always there. So, so, you know, Daniel, he doesn't really understand this. He doesn't really get it. So instead of asking for like exact details, instead he asks, what's the outcome? What's in this for me? What's in this for the people of Judah, for the people of Israel? What, what's the outcome of this? And the funny thing is, is the angel doesn't answer him. The angel does not answer him. It, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. You, you don't need to know that. Instead, he tells Daniel to what? To go. Go and live your life. Continue to be obedient to the Lord. Go and live your life and continue to be with the Lord. He goes on to say, you know, many will become righteous, many will be made purified, will be right. That's, it's kind of like saying a lot of people are going to get saved and there will be many that will die in their wickedness before all of this is done. The angel, then the angel gives those days of the timing of the end of sacrifices to the time of the abomination that makes desolate. And it's a total of 1,290 days. Uh, but that those who make it through 1,335 days will be blessed. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if that's an additional 45 days to the 1,290 or if it's a total different set of 1,335 days. I, I'm, I'm not sure what it is. We really don't know what the numbers mean exactly, but based on what Jesus said in Matthew 24, when the daily sacrifices are ended, you can expect the end to be around the corner. When the Jews can't give their daily sacrifices anymore, it's going to be close. It's, it's going to be happening and to be, 
to kind of be on the lookout. So the question technically is when will the Jews be ordered to end their daily sacrifices? This did happen with Antiochus Epiphanes. He wouldn't allow them to do their daily sacrifices, but we can all see that Jesus did not come 1,290 days later after that had happened. It may have been that that's when Judas the Maccabee rose to power uh, and and was able to thwart everything that happened there with Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, But it's it's hard to say. There's some evidence there. But what is it for us? What I mean, technically, you know, they build the second thing, uh, the second temple. Antiochus Epiphanes tells them to stop, but then they're able to start it up again. By the time Jesus comes to earth, they're already they're doing sacrifices again. Remember, Mary and Joseph made a sacrifice for when Jesus was born. So the sacrificial system was was alive and well at the time of Jesus' birth. So. Have they stopped sacrificing? We all know that they have because nobody's doing sacrifice. They don't have a temple or anything. But that would have been in 70 AD. That's when the Romans destroyed that that second temple. Well, 1,290 days later, nothing big happened, and we're all still here. And even if you want to change it to years, 1360 AD, I think, is the math there. I I haven't, uh, there's nothing there that happened. <laughs> Nobody really knows much of anything that's going on. So, so what's going on? When will the Jews start daily sacrifices again then, if they haven't been sacrificing? Well, that's a pretty good question. And doing a little bit of a study real quick here for you on a side note, there's a thing called Temple Institute in Jerusalem. It's uh, is Israelis um, who are Jewish and uh, they want to build a third temple is what they want to do. Again, whether that needs to happen or not for the end times is, is really up to the Lord. But that's their main thrust. They want to build a third temple. we got a big problem with building a third temple, though. What's on the Temple Mount? A thing called the Dome on the Rock, which is um, a Muslim uh, place of worship kind of thing. So they can't touch it and... and if they were to touch it, that'd be a pretty crazy war, pretty crazy battle. But anyways, they want to do the the, the new temple thing, um, and that's their main thing. But that's it's kind of interesting how that's that's not working. But something else is. Um, they built an altar though in 2015 to perform sacrifices and literally reenacted a Passover in 2015. These guys got together. They built an altar. They're like, I guess we don't really need a temple. And that makes sense because they don't have the Ark of the Covenant. So even if you built a temple, it's kind of just an empty building. And so they built an altar. They're like, we can do that. And so they build this altar. They perform sacrifice and reenact the Passover in 2015. Then in 2017, they get kind of bold and they go right up to the, uh, to the property line of the Dome on the Rock and decided to perform some sacrifices there. That got some people ticked off, and a few of them got arrested, and they're like, don't do that. <laughs> they're like, okay, fine, we're out. So, so 2017, that happened. 2018, they go through different channels, and they actually get permission to reenact the Passover again closer to the Temple Mount, the, by, by the Dome on the Rock there, and, and it happens. Uh, but then in September of last year, September 2022, a Christian group from Texas sent them five unblemished red cows 
to meet the requirements of Numbers chapter 19, verses 2 through 10, to resume daily sacrifices. So if Jews can actually start daily sacrifices again, that would be kind of interesting if they actually started doing that. Now, I don't think it would happen in the United States. We have PETA and too many people that really love animals so much that I don't think they're just going to be able to start filleting up all these animals that they want to fillet up. Uh, But in the Middle East... Well, that's another story. So who knows? Maybe they're starting the daily sacrifices again. They're not worth much, of course, because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. But, but who knows? Maybe, maybe we really are seeing some things start to come about. Just, you know, just something for, to th- for you to think about, and we'll just kind of leave that there as it is. Um, but what I really want to close with today is what the, was what the angel told Daniel to do. Just go. Continue to live your life in obedience. It's stated twice, actually. He tells him two times, go and live your life. In fact, at the end, in verse 13, he says, but go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. It's kind of a nice promise for Daniel. Listen, you've been living a good life, and if you continue to live in obedience, you're going to see God do some some great things, and, and you'll see the stuff that's going on at the end of days. Listen, friends, as we've mentioned many times, the most important aspect of our relationship with God is obedience. The angel's response is similar to Jesus' response to his disciples when they asked him at the time of his ascension if this is when his kingdom was finally going to take over. Is your kingdom finally going to come? Is this it? Is this the time we get to oust the Romans and we all get to live in power in this way? And what does Jesus tell them? It's not for you. How the, the, the days that the Lord has mentioned, the days that the Lord has put together and all of these things that are happening, that's not for you. What you need to do is you need to head back to Jerusalem and you need to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. And then when that Holy Spirit pours upon you, then you need to go. And just like Daniel was told by the angel to go and live his life, so it is with the disciples, so it is with us to continue to go and, and, and live out live out. God and and preach the gospel, help those that are in need, those kinds of things. Does this mean we should ignore everything about the end times? No. In fact, more of what we saw today was that we should seek wisdom. We should seek wisdom and say, Lord, if you could just give me a little bit of understanding of what's going on. We should seek an understanding of these things. We see this uh, in, in verse 10 where he says, Uh, The angel says, uh, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. Uh, but, But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. If we want to understand these things, we have to go to the Lord who has all wisdom. That's what James tells us, right? You have not because you ask not. You want wisdom? Just ask him for it. Lord, I want to understand these things. I want to be able to, to tell people about these things. And then look back in verse 4 where he says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words of the book and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. People are going to know a bunch of stuff. People are going to have a lot of knowledge. They're going to be really smart, but they're going to be fools. This is what Proverbs talks about. The fool, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You can be super smart. You can own a Fortune 500 company. You can have everything in the world, but you're a fool. 
You're a dunce. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're just on a path to death and destruction. You can sit here and you can read some of these words and say, I think I get it. I think I understand what's going on here. These people did this, that people did that, and da 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 And there is no spiritual understanding. There is no wisdom to it at all. And as you read it, it just kind of, all the words mesh together. Nothing is, 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 is making sense. And, and it's just like, ah, this is, this is just crazy archaic stuff that Christians lean on because they, they have nothing else to lean on. Because we have not sought wisdom. Listen, friends, I've always said knowledge is knowing stuff. Wisdom is taking what you know and using it for godly purposes. We need wisdom. Like I said, there's a lot of smart people out there that know stuff, but they're foolish. They lack that wisdom. We don't want to be those people. Seek the Lord for wisdom. Seek him for understanding, especially how to take the information about the end times and share with people for their salvation. Look at what it said in verse 3. This is like the key verse today. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's, that's a really nice gleam of hope in the midst of everything that Daniel just saw. Listen, the wise will understand and they will shine like the noonday sky. I mean, we're supposed to get some sunshine the next couple of days. Praise God. Too bad it's still cold as cold. <laughs> But sometimes it's nice just to have that sunshine out, right? I mean, we, we live in Minnesota, and from, like, November 1st to, like, August 8th, it's just clouds. I guess it's not August. It's July. But anyways, it's just clouds. That's all it is. And then when the sun comes out, we're like, yes, this is so amazing. But it's cold. <laughs> Because the cloud blanket went away. Um, but to, to see that sun, to see the brightness of the sky, to turn people away from their sin and towards righteousness, they'll shine like stars forever and ever. That's what God has for us. That's what God wants to see in each of us. If you would just seek the wisdom of the Lord, that's what, that's what you're going to get. In a world that's constantly cloudy, in a world that's constantly depressed, down in the dumps and and whatever, constantly angry, constantly frustrated, we can be that sunshine. We can be those, those, those stars that people look up to and they're just like, man, those are amazing. God can take you and say, listen, here's the wisdom that you need. And for every single person that you're sharing that message with, you're, you're just like those shining stars that, that everybody loves to see in the night sky. That day, that us Minnesotans, that sunshine that us Minnesotans like to see in the middle of what we consider a God-forsaken winter. <laughs> Why don't you stand with me today? We're going to close today seeking that wisdom. Like I said, there's, there's all sorts of stuff that's going on there. And, I'm, I mean, <laughs> I, I told you guys last week, you, you, can, you can believe what you want and, and look at various 
Christian writers that think whatever they want to think, and that's perfectly fine because that's technically not the gospel. The gospel message is Jesus Christ died for our sins, and faith in him brings us salvation. So, if, if again, you got different information, well, I think it's this. Know what I'm probably going to say to you? That sounds pretty good, too. <laughs> that sounds good. I like that guy. I like David, uh, David Jeremiah. I like Tim LaHaye. These guys seem like nice guys. That's Sure, maybe, maybe what they say is going to happen. Maybe it's not. But I'm going to tell you right now what really matters is that we have the wisdom of the Lord to move forward. 